But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything done on it shall be exposed. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Live your lives in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In that day, the heavens will be dissolved by fire, and the elements will melt in the intense heat. But in keeping with his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, loved ones, while you are looking for these things, make every effort to be found in shalom, spotless and blameless before him. Bear in mind that the patience of our Lord means salvation, just as our dearly beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these matters in all his letters. Some things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, as they also do with the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. Since you already know all this, loved, loved ones, be on your guard, so that you are not led astray by the error of the lawlessness and loose and lose your sure footing. Instead, keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Yeshua the Messiah. To him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Well, it's good to see everybody here today. Shabbat Shalom. You intrepid souls that have been willing to brave the elements and come and worship the Lord with us. You know, it's always uh, important to remember that worshiping the Lord is, to one degree or another, um, important for us. And yes, we worship the Lord because it's proper and uh, it's the right thing to do because he deserves our worship. But uh, do you know what worship does for us? It focuses our attention on him and reminds us that maybe, just maybe, the world is not going to hell in a handbasket as we're told, even though it seems like it, that God is somehow still in control. And uh, there are times when it's real important for us to stop and remember just who is in charge. Um, there are a number of things this week that initially kind of rattled me for a moment or so. Uh, you may have heard that uh, there was a bunch of Iranian hackers that got into the national power grid. Did you know that there was a national power grid? Um including the New York State Hydroelectric Dam System. Um, I know we can tease that out and spend several hours talking about that, which we will not. Um, there was also in the paper t this week a story about someone who was dressed as Santa Claus who took out a knife and stabbed somebody. And you say, what is wrong with that picture? Um, not that I am a firm devotee of Santa, uh, 
um, but it just doesn't compute because you know this is what you think about in the Middle East, and the fact that this is here um, is distressing, isn't it? And so sometimes it makes us feel as if we're looking at the world through a narrow slit. Now, remember, uh, several years ago, we were um, we took a tour of uh, the old city of Jerusalem and walked on the walls and and saw that um, that in the uh, 16th century, when they built walls around. The Turks build walls around Jerusalem. Uh, ever so often, they put slits for the archers to stand behind and to shoot. And you know, you look through those slits and you realize you don't get much of a perspective that way. Just a narrow little slit. And sometimes when we think about what's going on in the world, it makes us feel like we're looking through a narrow slit. We don't see a large perspective. And I felt um, a sense that, that uh, especially during the season, it's important for us to step back and say, Lord, would you please give me a large perspective, as you see? Um, because I don't want to live life as if I am going to be looking through a narrow slit. I want to see things from a broad perspective. And so I want to pause for a minute and ask the Lord to speak to us today as we consider um, these scriptures. Father God, we pray simply that you would indeed speak, speak to us, Lord. That each one of us would discern a message from you for our particular life. And thank you, Lord, that you know each and every one of us. You understand how we are wired because you wired us. And so we ask simply, Lord, that what we need to hear, that you would cause us to hear today. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. You know, I, I, I realize that sometimes when we look at Scripture, we have a hard time connecting to it, relating to it, um, because sometimes the Word of God is just so glorious and, and expansive, you know, it's just kind of out there. And we are in our world, getting up in the morning, doing our thing, so it's hard for us to connect with what is being played out in the Word of God. Well, let me give you a little clue about the writer of, of this letter, Peter, Petros, the little stone, or Cephas, as in Aramaic, lived during the time of Crazy Nero. You remember Crazy Nero? He was the guy that burned the city of Rome and, and took and threw believers into, to the lions. Now, think about what life would be like living under crazy Nero. So when Peter writes all these things that seem to just are expansive and talk about this magnificent panorama of God, 
realize that facts on the ground for Peter are pretty dismal. And yet, God has somehow given him a different kind of spectacles, a different pair of glasses to be able to see reality from God's point of view. And that's what this passage is all about, is the horizons that God wants us to see that are beyond the facts on the ground. And yes, we have to deal with the facts on the ground because if we don't, they will come and take us away. Um, however, the Lord is able to, to give us what we need to deal with the facts on the ground and every so often we have to step back and see the broader perspective, broader picture. And that's what Peter is wanting us to do. He wants us to put our thinking caps on and he wants us to learn to be people of courage, gutsy people who are focused for action. And that he begins right off the bat in this chapter 3 where he says, I've written to stir, to arouse you by causing you to remember and have wholesome motivation, wholesome thinking. In other words, Peter is wanting to appeal to us to our thinking caps at this point. Why? Because he realizes that these people um, are dealing with a difficult reality and their perspective is kind of jaded and they need to, in a sense, have a bigger perspective, a bigger panorama put before them. And, and he wants to do it with vigor. And he says, first of all, that they need to take a look to what took place in the, in, in the past. Why? Well, think about it. Every so often we forget what God has done for us. You know, we, we tend to be um, very short attention span kind of a civilization. You know, we're so used to things flying at us that after a while we tend to forget. And we forget what God did for us because our attitude, like the rest of society, is, God, what have you done for me lately? And so ever so often we need to stop and look back at what was the situation in, in the past and learn from it because remembering the, the wonderful things that God did in the past for us can be an encouragement for us to persevere and continue in this day and age to press forward. So we need to come back to revisit the past, not because we are nostalgic, you know, the good old days, but because we want to learn to come back to the basics that we learned and, and appropriated and grabbed onto. Uh, we want to do that with both hands and both feet. And part of what he's saying that had been predicted is that uh, at some period in history, which scripture calls the end times, scoffers will come scoffing and following after their own 
desire, saying, what is this the coming that he promised ever since our father died? Our fathers died. Everything goes on as, as it has in the beginning. The word for scoffing is a very strong word, which means to make fun of somebody by pretending that he or she is not what they are and imitating them in a distorted manner. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you watch late-night comedy, Jay Leno and these guys, how they take and slice and dice different individuals. Um, I mean, we all do that to some extent. Um, and if you go to college, then you learn how to be more sarcastic and use a bunch of bigger words, right? <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of our humor tends to be just that. You know, we tend, it tends to be very cutting, tends to cut people down. And it's not so bad when we do it gently and when we are self-deprecating, when we poke fun at ourselves. But it's especially bad when we turn that sarcasm against the Lord and we say, yeah, right, Lord. Um, you promise such and such. Yeah, I don't see anything happening. It ain't going to happen. Um, scriptures is not real big about us being scoffers. In fact, Psalm 1 tells us the following, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the Torah of the Lord. A contrast here between someone who is focused on what God says on one hand versus someone who, is, who views reality sarcastically and cynically and says, yeah, I read this here in a good book, but between you and me and, and the wall here, I really don't believe what it says. And all of us tend to be that way sometimes. Because what we read in Scripture seems to be so much beyond us that sometimes it's hard for us to get our arms around. It's a battle of faith. It's a battle of faith. And that's true for all of us. You know, several weeks ago when we celebrated our congregational 25th anniversary, I was thinking about the fact that through the years, there have been all kinds of folks who would come, would look at us, and who would scoff, who would snicker and say, you guys have been around, I don't see a whole lot happening, you're not growing, blah, 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 blah. And... Um, Part of the challenge is before the naysayers said what they had to say, somebody else did, and that was me. And uh, someone even um, bigger in a sense, and that's the evil one. And so part of the picture, this battle of faith, has been to say, God is at work. Why? Because that's what the good book says. The good book says that God is at work to will and to do his good pleasure. And I believe that. That reality isn't about me, what I can do, what I can't do. 
and how well I do it, how well I don't do it. Reality is about what God is doing. And that's what I want to tune into. So when we consider life where we are individually and corporately, part of the, the battle is to recognize the fact that there is a bigger picture, bigger reality, bigger panorama, and that we go back to the Word of God to remind us of the fact that God has been at work. God has been at work. For millennium, and realign and readjust our thinking in that, in that direction. Peter's, Peter reminds the readers of the simple fact: you, you look, you know, you look at the mountains, you look at the fourteeners, see all the the snow, and you recognize somebody made that happen. God was at work. And he was at work with that. He was at work with the flood. And he is going to continue to do his work. And the scoffers deliberately choose to forget what God did. Scripture tells us that those who don't believe choose not to believe. And to deliberately forget what God has done. And Peter tells them over and over in the first part of this chapter, do not allow yourself to forget. Do not allow yourself to forget. In other words, find ways to remind yourself of who God is and what God has done. And so we deal with, then we deal with the sense of timing. You know, it seems to be that God is somewhat narrow-minded. He doesn't seem to operate according to our calendar. You know what I'm saying? You have a plan, a strategy, and, and you devise it, and then you, you say, God, would you please come and sprinkle pixie dust and bless it? And then God doesn't seem to do that, or at least initially, and you wait and wait and wait. And then Peter encourages us by saying, as far as God's calendar is concerned, one day or a thousand years is like one day for God. And you say, well, that's truly encouraging. I really needed to hear that. Um, and I have a long ways to go before I'm a thousand. So when am I going to see God work? Well, again, you and I operate according to what Scripture calls chronos or time that is quantitative. In other words, right now is 20 to 12, and, and someday we're going to finish, and you're going to be able to have lunch, and that's going to be according to a particular schedule. Well, God is outside of that, and he doesn't stand there and say, let's see, it is 20 to 12, and uh, I'm going to wait until 20 after 12 to do what I'm going to do. God is beyond time. And he simply waits for things to develop and to unfold. And that's when he kicks into action. It's kind of hard for us to get our arms around that. 
And so when it seems that God is slow in, in carrying out some things, we need to remember that there's a purpose why God seems to be slow. In verse 9, Peter says, the Lord's not slow. In other words, he never runs late. <clears throat> but he's patient. He's patient. He's patient with, with us, with the rest of mankind. Because <clears throat> if he wasn't patient, you and I would be nuked. He is not wanting that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Again, what we need to remember is what drives God's calendar, what drives God's clock, is the fact that he is kind and patient. He wants to give humanity an extra opportunity to change and to repent. And I don't know what it does for you. It, that part of it is very encouraging to me because it, it speaks about the fact that God is willing to put up with a lot of stuff that I do, not all of which is glorious and saintly. Ezekiel reminds us of that. He said, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn their ways and live? This is Ezekiel chapter 18. So part of our getting a proper perspective on life, on this world, is remember what God has done in the past. And I'd like to encourage you simply to take some time to reflect on good things that God has done in your life. Because I know that every single one of us can list at least one thing that they can point to and say, this was the hand of God in my life for which I'm thankful. And use that as the means of encouraging yourself to say, okay, life at this point may not be absolutely delightful. In fact, it may be hard. But because I, I've seen the hand of God in the past, I know what he's done in my life. I know what he's done in the world. I know he's not finished. I'm expecting that he will continue to do this good work in my life, in this world, despite all the craziness that has taken place. And that's the other piece that Peter puts before us. He says, not only remember what God did in the past, but also look forward to the things that God is going to do. Amen. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. In other words, just when you don't expect God to do something, he will do something. He will exert his irresistible power. To bring about his, his action in your life, in this world. And this, of course, is speaking about the cosmic big kind of stuff. 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will <clears throat> disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And you say, wow, that's truly encouraging. Give me more. Well, why is Peter saying this to a group of people who are suffering under crazy Nero? Well, there's a reason. Over here, at the end of time, when everything is finished, God is going to scrap things and come up with a new heaven and new earth. Vastly improved than anything we've ever seen. Scripture says, I hasn't seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So yeah, this seems grim that God is going to take and destroy things, but he'll do that for the purpose of scrapping things and making things brand new. Vastly improved than anything that has ever been there. And remember that what God is after, folks, is a strengthened relationship, strengthened connection between himself and people. As you look at the Word of God, you see that that's been his goal from the very beginning. From the moment sin entered into the world, God has been relentlessly at work, uh, working to restore humanity to himself. By the way, you read the Torah and, and the blood and the gore and all these things, Please do remember that 56 chapters in the Torah specifically are relating to the worship of God through the tabernacle. What does that mean? It means that a major part of what the Torah is about is God wanting to be related to people. He wanted people to know him. He wanted to dwell with them as we sang earlier. And that's part of what Peter has in mind here. That this day of the Lord is moving that direction. Because at the end of time, there will be absolutely no wall between God and us. Revelation tells us that there will not be a temple because God will dwell with people. There will not need to be a sun because the light of God will bring about his, his light for us. So Peter then goes on to say, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be holy and godly. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed. It's coming. I want to park here for a couple of minutes because I, I want us to consider what does it mean to speed the Lord's coming. Since it is a Jewish book that's got to be in one hand, on the other hand. Does it mean that when you and I do things that are wonderful and spiritual and care for people and pray, etc., etc., that that automatically will zip God along some kind of a celestial Timetable? Absolutely not. And, uh, and, and this translation isn't the best because the, the Greek word that's translated to hasten or to speed normally means to be 
engaged and active engaged and active and, and eager in what way well simply engaged and active in doing God's plan and God's will God's purpose and somehow as we do that the kingdom of God will advance and move according to God's timetable not because we huff and puff and push and make it happen, but because we're participating in the work of the kingdom of God, and that is what needs to happen. That's what needs to take place. As we eagerly engage in doing the work of the kingdom of God, then God's work will increase and move along faster. Obviously, part of the picture here is that none of us have a clue when the Lord is coming. And Yeshua is very clear about the fact that none of us knows, none of you know exactly when I'm coming. And human nature being what it is, if God says no, then we say yes. Uh, so you have, you've had all these people from the year 175, that's about 2,000 years ago, who were convinced that Messiah would come back in the year 175. And in our lifetime, there have been people saying that Yeshua will come back in the year 1988. Well, hasn't happened yet, and I'm sure there are other folks. So all that to say, we are expected to remember what God did in the past as a means of encouragement and to look forward to what God wants to do. This notion of looking forward is mentioned here three times in, in verse 12, verse 13, verse 14. And remember that any time in Scripture we see something repeated three times, it tells you to sit up and take real good notice. In other words, did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? And that's what Peter is saying to, to these folks. Remember, they're struggling. They're struggling individual living under great persecution. And if you respond to that by saying, we in the United States are under great persecution, let me welcome you to go to other places in this world and see what persecution really is about. Regardless, we're expected to be people who are forward-thinking, forward-looking, pressing by faith towards what God has prepared for us because of His great power at work. One of my favorite scriptures in that regard is Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in a desert and streams in a wasteland. Now this is not escapism. This is not left behind... Um, 
film number 15 or something. You know, it's, uh, it's not an invitation for us to sit on top of a roof and wait to be beamed up by some aliens. Um, it is not an invitation for us to detach because we look at the world and the world is messed up and we want to hide in our circle of wagons or messianic ghetto. So instead of detaching, we have to engage more vigorously because as the Word of God tells us, where there is sin, the grace of God is even greater. Make every effort, every effort to engage in doing the work of the kingdom of God. And yes, there will always be folks who are naysayers. Always. You know, I, I, I saw a clip about um, Theodore Roosevelt. Um, you know, the guy with the bully pulpit. And he made a very profound statement. I want to read to you a couple of sentences from it. He, st he states this uh, among the following. It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how, strong, how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Now, what you may not know about Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt is the fact that throughout his life he struggled with severe asthma. And he was a man who also struggled with severe depression from time to time. Yet Theodore Roosevelt was by far and away one of the most productive presidents of the United States. You know, uh, Roosevelt um, is not my Messiah, but I'm quoting him simply as a reminder <clears throat> that as we endeavor to focus on the big panorama that God has, and as we take those baby steps, and as we move in, in the direction the Lord shows us, and as we point our noses towards Him, there will always be naysayers. There will always be people pointing out your failures, your shortcomings, your mistakes. And if you're like me, you will be the first one to do that. But that's not the point, folks. It is not about how good we are or how poor we are. Yes, we are called to engage. Yes, we are called to press But at the end of the day, what really makes the difference is the fact that the power of God is at work. Amen. And that's what Peter tells us at 
in this uh, the end of this section. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. A couple things that I wanted to emphasize here, then we'll finish. <clears throat> Each of us can be drawn away by one thing or another, or to be a little crass, we can be seduced by something that appeals to us that is not in line with what God has for us. And instead of pursuing what God has, we pursue what somebody else has. The scripture tells us that being able to filter the truth from error is a basic sign of spiritual maturity. Paul puts it this way, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Part of what the Word of God tells us is that as time moves on in God's calendar, we will see more and more people who are slick in conveying all kinds of information that is not from God. And that we will have a greater responsibility than to, to listen and to filter it using the filter of the Word of God. The second emphasis Peter tells us here, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Yeshua. In other words, that today you'll be able to say, I'm farther along in this road towards a stronger, deeper relationship with God than I was a year ago. And that a year from now, you'll be able to do the same thing and say, God has brought me along and he's given me the chutzpah, the holy chutzpah, to press forward and, and to advance, not only in my relationship with God, but to advance in promoting the work of the kingdom in, that he has given me to do. And yes, <clears throat> all of us can be preoccupied with the negative, with the difficult things that are happening, with stuff around us. We can focus on that. We, we can be skeptical or even cynical and say things will never change. They will never change. It will always be this way, and if they change, there will always be worse. I know that sounds very Eeyore-ish. Yes, things will change. There will always be bad. They will go worse. We can always take that perspective, or we can listen to what the Word of God tells us, and that is that God has been at work. He's done amazing things in the past. He is continuing to work. We can't always see it. But at some point in his good time, he will make things visible to us. And we'll continue then to take those baby steps in his direction. That's been the case for us at Yeshua Tzion. We're seeing God at work. We're seeing things visibly happening. 
But it's not because we have come up with something cute, clever, and slick. We continue to do what God has given us to do, and he has been doing what he wants to do, and we're celebrating and rejoicing in what he's been doing. I want to encourage each one of us to do likewise. To ask for God to open up our perspective and give us a broader panorama to see him, to see what he has for us. Father God, we repent, we ask your forgiveness for all the instances, all the times, Lord, when we allow ourselves to sink into unbelief because we're discouraged and we minimize your power and your plan to bring about redemption. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would strengthen us that your spirit would be poured out, that you would change our DNA, Lord God, to be people of courage, chazak, chazak, v'nit chazak, people who are being strengthened, Lord God, to pursue what you have put before us. And as the days are changing and moving in the wrong direction, we pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to see you at work, Participate in what you're doing and wait, Lord God, for your coming. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.